Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To everybody out there, I hope you're having a great day. If after watching this video you find you enjoyed it or you learned something, do me a favor and smash the like button. Now, let's get started. Serial killer Dennis Rader who's now 78 years old, has been named a prime suspect in at least two unsolved cases in Oklahoma and Missouri. Back in 2005, Raider was finally caught after two decades of eluding the authorities. He confessed to 10 murders and told the cops where they could find his stash of trophy or mementos from victims. Raider had built a false bottom in the family home's hallway. There he stashed driver's license from the people he'd done in. In Raider's case, his wife moved out of the house in Park City, Kansas, right away and never went back. The home was eventually torn down. It doesn't sound like the authorities dug up the property back in 2005. Today, the property is an empty field. Well, I shouldn't say empty because it sounds like there are criminal treasures hidden in the ground. Unbeknownst to Raider's family and to the authorities as well, Raider had buried some items associated with his crimes in the ground under a metal shed he'd put up in the backyard. Before he built the shed there, he poured concrete slabs on the ground. And before pouring the concrete, he dug up the ground and stashed some items in it. Starting in April of 2023, deputies from Osage County, Oklahoma, went to the old Raider property in Park City and dug up portions of the yard. During the April search, a pantyhose ligature said to be old and tattered was found. The pantyhose had knots in it that the authorities said, quote, would go probably around the wrist or ankle, end quote. Then this Tuesday, deputies were back in Park City, searching the property again. During this latest search, more things were found that the authorities are describing as items of interest. The Daily Mail has reported that these things included, quote, binding-type items, end quote. It sounds like more mechanisms that Raider used to harm and control his victims. Harry Ross and his daughter told the Daily Mail that she always wondered if her dad could have hidden trophies or other evidence when he buried one of the family's dogs in the backyard in the 1990s. Yesterday, Osage County Undersheriff Gary Upton revealed to the public that their investigation has led to additional unsolved murders and missing persons cases that are possibly connected to Dennis Rader. Upton said the search of the property was, quote, closely tied to the disappearance of 16-year-old Cynthia Kinney, who was reported missing from Oklahoma in 1976, the year of the American Bicentennial. Kinney, a high school cheerleader, went missing after leaving her aunt and uncle's laundromat on June 23rd of 1976. Raider is the prime suspect in her case. The Osage County Sheriff said he's 100% certain that Dennis Rader had something to do with Kinney's disappearance. The other cold case is that of 22-year-old Shauna Garber, 
whose body was found in an old barn in McDonald County, Missouri, in December of 1990. Under Sheriff Gary Upton from the Osage Police Department said that they have given a significant amount of evidence to law enforcement officials in Missouri who are investigating Garber's death. The authorities believe Raider is involved in Garber's homicide due to evidence that was found during the recent searches at the Raider property. Sounds like some trophies associated with Garber may have been located. Raider, who can't seem to stop talking about his crimes, at least to some extent, which is why he got himself caught finally after 20 years of flying under the radar, no pun intended, apparently told others that he'd hidden trophies from his victims decades ago that had never been found. After learning about this, the investigators were keen to check out the ground under stone pavers that sat below the metal shed Raider built in the early to mid-90s in his yard. Note that they did not expect to find human remains on the now city-owned property. So they weren't looking for bodies, they were looking for items. Side note, Raider sent a letter last month to Fox News in which he compared himself to Gilgo Beach suspect Rex Heuerman. Raider called Heuerman a clone of himself. It sounds like Raider approves of Heuerman's alleged ability to lead a double life and hide his crimes for more than a decade and possibly longer. I wonder if Heuerman heard about this. If so, I wonder how it makes him feel to get Raider's seal of approval. Raider's daughter, 45-year-old Carrie Rawson, who hadn't seen her father or spoken to him in person for 18 years, went to visit her dad this summer on three separate occasions. Starting in June, she spent a total of three hours with him in both June and July. She said that she first became aware of new cold cases linked to her dad in January of 2023. That was when she learned about her dad being suspected in Cindy Kinney's disappearance. Then, this June, Carrie learned that her dad was being looked at in connection to Shauna Garber's death. Since she learned of these new cold cases, possibly connected to her father, Carrie has been working with detectives from Osage County, Oklahoma, to try and coax information about Cindy Dawn Kinney out of her dad, as well as info about Shauna Garber's death. The authorities had hoped that Carrie could help break her dad down and get him to reveal additional details about the crimes. Rawson said that when she went in to see Raider at the prison, it took him a while to realize who she was, and he was shocked by the visit as she hadn't told him she was coming. Part of him not recognizing his daughter immediately, maybe down to his now poor eyesight. Carrie described her dad as fragile and said that he's lost seven inches. I'm assuming she meant in height, he's in a wheelchair, and is, quote, pretty much rotting to his core, end quote. Raider was wheeled into the visitation room where Carrie was waiting, and he was in shackles. He was able to give her a hug and a kiss on the cheek. Carrie said it was like a reunion. She also said, quote, I hadn't had contact with him for 18 years besides letters. To sit across from him was quite staggering. 
end quote. Sounds like the years of incarceration have taken a toll on Raider. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, right? Carrie told the DailyMail.com that she doesn't know how much longer her dad is going to be around. Despite his physical fragility, however, Raider, according to Carrie, is still sharp as a tack. She said he was, quote, coming up with alibis. I mean, he could tell I was there for answers. It was surreal. Rawson also said that it was the first time she'd seen her dad drop his mask. And I think what she meant was his mask of the caring father and family guy to her and he allowed himself, or he mistakenly allowed the mask to slip and showed her BTK, the serial killer. That had to have been a chilling moment. I wish I could ask her if she was afraid to go into the room to meet with him. I mean, I know he was shackled and he's fragile and he's in a wheelchair, but still, that has to be scary. Unfortunately, when Carrie tried to get information about the cold cases, her dad played games with her and tried to lead her down rabbit holes. He also lied to her, which she didn't believe at first. When she left the room where her discussion had taken place and met with the investigators, who I assume were listening in on the conversation. They said her dad had lied to her, but Carrie asked them to show her the proof, which they then produced. Carrie said at that moment something to the effect of, then fry him. She's as disgusted as we are over his grotesque crimes and the games he continues to play. Although Carrie seems frustrated, she said she's planning on returning to the prison in the coming months for another visit. I'm pretty sure she is working hard to try to get the information out of him before he dies. It has to be infuriating to have a parent who lies to you about things like this. It reminds me of how doomsday mom Lori Vallow continues to dwell in her made-up land where she hasn't done anyone in or harmed anyone. Her son Colby has expressed how frustrating it is trying to get the truth out of her and finding she's either unable or unwilling to share it. Hearing about more cases that Raider may have been tied to makes me think that maybe serial killers should not be put to death. Maybe it's better to keep them around so that the authorities can continue to try and chisel information about cold cases they're suspected of committing. The families of those victims probably pray night and day for answers and justice. If you do away with the potential perpetrator, there goes your opportunity to possibly get those cases resolved. Now, let me tell you about Cindy Kinney's disappearance and what is known about Shauna Garber's case. Kinney's case was reopened in December of this year. Back in 1976, when she went missing, Raider was a regional installer for ADT Security and worked in both Kansas and Oklahoma. He was also involved in Boy Scouts in these areas. Sheriff Eddie Verdon of Osage County, Oklahoma, told KAKE-TV News that a bank was having a new alarm installed across the street from the laundromat in Pahuska, 
Oklahoma that belonged to Kinney's aunt and uncle. Cindy worked at the laundromat and was last seen there on June 23rd of 1976 when she left the establishment. Note that Kinney was a high school junior at the time and was very popular. she just made the varsity cheerleading squad. On the day she vanished, Cindy was wearing a peach-colored blouse and blue jeans. What's odd is that witnesses said she left the laundromat at 9.30 a.m. and got into a faded beige 1965 Plymouth Belvedere with two people inside. One witness said the two people were a man and a woman. Another witness said they were two women in their 20s. Oddly, Kinney left her purse and her drink at the laundromat, as well as a half-eaten donut. That would indicate that she intended to come right back. After Kinney disappeared, there were several reported sightings of her. She was supposedly traveling around southern Kansas with a religious group, but the authorities were never able to confirm those sightings. Another witness reported she'd seen a person named Hubbard Green with Cynthia just minutes before she disappeared. But this alleged sighting was not reported until 1991, and the police have never said if they verified that sighting. In 1986, Hobart Green pleaded guilty to second-degree murder in the death of his baby son. Green is also a suspect in the 1961 disappearance of his ex-wife. Sounds like Green has now been ruled out of Kinney's case and Raider is the prime suspect. Sheriff Verdon said he decided to investigate Raider when he learned that the serial killer had included the phrase bad laundry day in his writings. That's so scary and creepy. Gary Upton, Verdon's undersheriff, said the new investigation, quote, spiraled out from there into other unsolved murders and missing persons cases. We sit just on the other side of the state line, from Kansas and Wichita, which is his stomping grounds. And so, yeah, we were following leads based off of our investigations and just unpacked other missing persons and murders, unsolved homicides that possibly point toward BTK, end quote. Rader has been questioned about Kinney's case and Shauna Garber's, too, in the past, but he's denied doing them in. He did previously state, however, that he enjoyed his meeting with investigators over Garber's death. 22-year-old Shauna Garber is slightly different in that her body was found after she disappeared. On December 2nd of 1990, the McDonald County, Missouri Sheriff's Office responded to a call at an old abandoned house on Oscar Talley Road. Once at the scene, they discovered a badly decomposed body. A pathologist estimated the deceased person was a white female in her mid to late 20s. Due to the extensive dental work on the person's teeth, the forensic examiners believe she was from a larger city. In autopsy revealed that the victim had been essayed, something was put around her neck, and she'd been restrained with different bindings before she died. 
In short, she'd been hogtied with nylon and lead ropes, coaxial and telephone cables, paracord and clothesline, and had died a very brutal death. The detectives deemed the remains race dough because they believed it would take the grace of God to get the remains identified. After 220 tips came in, the case sadly went cold, and it remained that way for decades. In 2009, Detective Lori Howard decided to have a reconstruction of Grace Doe's face made by a reconstruction expert and an FBI instructor. Sadly, despite the bust being well-publicized, no one came forward to identify Grace Doe. Fast forward to September of 2020, and that's when Othram Labs, a forensic laboratory that uses advanced DNA testing to identify victims, missing people, and perpetrators of crime, contacted the sheriff. The sheriff sent Othram skeletal remains, and they extracted DNA and then used forensic-grade genome sequencing to build a DNA profile that could be used to find distant relatives. Once relatives were found, Detective Howard called one of them named Danielle Pixler, who was Shauna Garber's half-sister. Pixler and Garber had the same mother, although Pixler was born after a second marriage. She told the authorities she'd been looking for Shauna for 28 years. When Pixler was born, Child Protective Services in Topeka, Kansas, had already placed Shauna and her two brothers into foster care in Garnett, Kansas. The story goes that Shauna's mother had poured gasoline on little Shauna and then lit a match. You get the picture. Clearly, poor Shauna had a rough life from the very beginning. After foster care, Shauna was placed back into state care. Danielle had lost track of her half-sister Shauna after she left foster care. In February of 2021, Danielle agreed to contribute her DNA to the project, and a miracle occurred. She was a match to the DNA of Grace Doe. Finally, the body had a name, Shauna Beth Garber. After Shauna was finally identified, Danielle and one of her half-brothers, who was Shauna's full brother, laid her to rest in a white coffin in a cemetery in Buckland, Kansas. The story surrounding how Garber's body was found is equally interesting. In a 2012 interview, Detective Howard mentioned a story about a 10-year-old boy who may have stumbled on Garber's body before the local couple who called police on December 2nd of 1990. First, let me tell you about the couple. They were Randy and Linda Groller, and when they spotted a skull lying in the grass on December 2nd, they had been searching for cans. In addition to the skull, there were also other scattered bones as well as clothing. Now to the 10-year-old boy. Detective Howard said she'd been unable to locate the boy, but she'd been told a story about a group of kids, including the boy, who'd heard a scream on Halloween night of 1990. So this story may or may not be true. It sounds like it's true, 
but it's hearsay because the 10-year-old boy, who's now an adult, has never told the story directly to Detective Howard. According to the story, the boy and his young relatives were outside on Oscar Tally Road on Halloween night in 1990. The kids were on their way to a party nearby when a black pickup truck with a white stripe on the side drove by. Its color was faded, and the boy said he thought the vehicle was a 1970s Chevy truck. The truck was driving fast, and this is what caught the kids' attention, because the road was not well-traveled, and the truck had a very loud muffler. The kids heard the truck stop in front of the abandoned farmhouse, which was somewhere between 25 yards and 100 yards from where they were. Abandoned farmhouses should be on the list of the most scary places to go. They seem to figure a lot in true crime. Now, this farmhouse had very tall weeds surrounding it, and the land beyond it was deserted as well. Apparently, locals used that area around it as a dumping ground for deer parts during hunting season. So they would just toss whichever parts of the deer they didn't want into this field. The kids heard the truck door open. Not long afterward, they heard a scream, followed by more blood-curdling screams. The screams went on for 10 minutes and then suddenly stopped. Then one door shut and the pickup took off down the road. Now these kids knew Whatever they'd heard could not be good, so they told their parents. But because it was Halloween night, the parents didn't take the story seriously. They just decided that it had to have been a Halloween prank. Pretty scary and realistic prank, me thinks. Now, this abandoned farmhouse was well known to the kids in the area, and they often used it as a sort of clubhouse. It even had a root cellar. Oh my god, root cellars are even scarier than abandoned farmhouses. Lord have mercy on these kids. So these kids didn't go over to the house to investigate. Good call, kids. But the children still played in the area after that and had to occasionally walk by the farmhouse. Over time, a foul odor turned up. The kids assumed it was either a dead deer or a dead cow. They weren't putting two and two together yet. But at some point, the 10-year-old boy goes over to the farmhouse, and there he sees a rib cage, a part of a backbone, a skull with brown hair still on it, as well as jeans, green clothesline, and a t-shirt. He also saw a foot in a tennis shoe. Holy crap! Obviously, this kid knew that the bones didn't belong to a deer. The bones were actually bound by all these different cords and that clothesline. Apparently, this boy then goes and tells his parents about seeing a body. But for some reason, the family never reported all this to the police. Only did they mention it after the couple called the police in December. Shauna's life, until ending up deceased at that farmhouse, remains clouded in mystery. Lieutenant Michael Hall, who worked the case for 15 years, said he believed she may have been living in Joplin, Missouri, 
1990. Could Shauna have had the misfortune to cross paths with Dennis Rader in Joplin? Apparently, Rader had spent his childhood summers just 19 miles away from where that farmhouse was. 1990, when Shauna was done in, was a year that Rader traveled a lot for his job with ADT, so it's definitely possible he somehow ran into Shauna Garber during his travels. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, did you enjoy this? Did you learn anything? If so, do me a favor, smash that like button, subscribe to my channel, get your friends to subscribe. We're almost at 30,000. Let's do this, people. All right, Mr. Raider, I need to find out more information. On that particular day, the 15th day of January, 1974, can you tell me where you went to kill Mr. Joseph Otero? Mm, I think it's 1834. Edgemore. All right. Can you tell me approximately what time of day you went there? Uh, somewhere between 7 and 7.30. This particular location, did you know these people? No, that's... Uh, no, that was part of my, uh, I guess, my what you call fantasy. These people were uh, selected. All right. So you... Okay. You were engaged in some kind of fantasy during this period of time? Uh, yes, sir. All right. Now, when you use the term fantasy, is this something you were doing for your personal pleasure? Uh, sexual fantasy, sir. I see. So you went to this residence, and what occurred then? Well, <clears throat> um, I had uh, did some thinking on what I was going to do to uh, either Mrs. Otero or Josephine and uh, basically broke into the house or didn't break into the house but uh, when they came out of the house I came in and confronted the family and then we went from there. All right. Had you planned this beforehand? To some degree, yes. Uh, after I got in the house I well, lost control of it but it, it was, you know, in back of my mind I had some ideas what I was going to do Did but uh, I just, I basically panicked that first day so. Beforehand did you know who was there in the house? I thought Mrs. Otero and the two kids, the uh, two younger kids were in the house. I didn't realize Mr. Otero was going to be there.